Good morning, Christ Church. Want to say a prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We trust you. We are so incredibly thankful for what a wonderful God that you are. We're thankful for Jesus Christ in this time of year that we get to remember who he is and what he's done. Help us, guide us, direct our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the last couple of weeks, my family did a lot of driving. We crossed through about seven states, lots of different highways, and whenever you're uh, traveling, driving any distance, it's always inevitable you come across construction. And you know you're entering because there's all kinds of signs letting you know that it's coming up, slow down, lanes changing, uh, fines are doubled, and it always slows down or brings traffic to a stop. And there's nothing worse than sitting stopped in traffic that isn't moving. And everything comes to a standstill. People aren't exactly at their kindest in lots of traffic, especially after you've been there for a while when you're in a hurry. In our own life, we have these moments where it feels like we've been cruising along just fine at a great speed, and then all of a sudden, life comes to a stop. And for whatever reason, whatever happens, we feel stalled right where we are. We're no longer moving along seamlessly, and usually moments like this doesn't bring out our best either. And we wonder, like, where were the signs? Where were uh, the little things to let us know? How didn't we see this coming? And it's interesting because in her book, Why Good People Do Bad Things, Debbie Ford says there's actually signposts for disaster in our life. It's a disaster because of the hurt and the damage that it can do to us, our relationships, and our health. And these signs are things we can look for that let us know we've steered off course and we're not headed in a healthy direction in our life. I find these so helpful because they become little clues that we can start to look for in our hearts, in our thinking, and in our life. Now, here's what I want to ask you, because sometimes we hear things like this, and we immediately think of people in our life that we know, and we're like, oh my gosh, this person does that all of the time. I've seen this before. I hear this. Why wouldn't they just listen to this? Okay, I'm going to ask you to not do that impulse, and I want you to instead Think through yourself in these scenarios. Do you relate to any of these? Are you struggling in any of these areas? Are these signs for you that maybe your life has headed in an unhealthy direction? So here are some of the signposts she said we can look for in our life. The first one is guardedness. What happens is feeling guarded, we start to build walls around ourselves. And these walls prevent us from being intimate, from asking for help, from trusting other people. We don't feel like we can share some of those darker thoughts, feelings, or impulses. And actually what happens, she said, is we start um, giving in to more delusional thoughts, and we sink into denial, and we act more on our distorted impulses. She said, when we get into this area of guardedness, we separate ourselves from the very people who could actually help us. We become defensive, isolated, distrustful, argumentative, and secretive. And what happens is it creates an increasingly small world around ourselves so that we can keep our persona intact and our secrets hidden. That's a signpost that disaster could be looming that our, our life has headed in the wrong direction. She said another thing we can look for is greed. She said fear of scarcity is at the root of all of our greed. It's fueled by fear. There isn't enough, not enough love, money, opportunities, material possessions. 
And what happens is when greed takes root, it causes us to crave more and more. We fear being poor. We fear our needs won't be met. We fear failing. And all of these things trigger with us greed, and we get driven to make sure we get ours no matter what, no matter the cost, no matter the consequence. And she said when our greedy self is out of balance, it denies us the experience of living in a healthy win-win universe because it's always seeking out ways to prevail, even if it means lying, cheating, or stealing. That's a sign that something unhealthy has taken root. Another one she says is arrogance. And I find this so interesting because normally when we see arrogant people, we're like, oh, they're so full of themselves. They've got such a big head. But arrogance is actually rooted in inadequacy, insecurity, and fear. It's a cover-up. It's a cover-up, and it's an expression of our obsession to be bigger and smarter and greater and more important than anybody else because we're trying to compensate for something that we believe we lack. She said, arrogance leads us to believe that we're above reproach. The rules don't really apply to me. Those are just for other people. And it's dressed up in justification and righteousness. And our ego's arrogant tendencies lure us into thinking we can do whatever we want. And we don't have to question it. We don't have to worry about being caught. We become so sure of ourselves that we stop listening to other points of view. And we're too proud to ask for help even when we need it. And that arrogance becomes the culprit that leads to a lot of other poor decision making. She said another signpost for us to look for is intolerance. We are intolerant, listen to how interesting this is, of those who reflect parts of ourselves that repel or frighten us. And superior, superiority is the face of intolerance, and this is its voice. I'm better than you superior to you, more right than you. And what happens is when we begin to feel intolerant of other people, it's always an expression of how intolerant we are of ourselves. In the assumption that we know what's right, intolerance closes us off from seeing other points of view or seeing anything in a new way. That's a huge signpost that something unhealthy is happening. Another one she says is self-absorption. It's a signpost of disaster because it's nearly impossible to see your own beha bad behavior and steer clear of potential pitfalls. When we're only focused on our small reality, what happens is we start to believe that our life is more important than the lives of those people who are around us. We become unconscious to what's happening outside of our own personal needs, our own personal agendas, which is where entitlement sets in. And entitlement offers us this clue that we are heading down the wrong direction because we believe the world owes us something. She said stubbornness is a huge signpost because it's essentially a form of unexpressed anger or anger that's just dug in its heels and is not giving up. It's righteous anger that's cemented with fear and resistance. And we find ourselves giving up so many of the valuable things that make life worth living just in the name of being right. And the last one she says is deceit. She said, it is the destiny of all liars that they start to begin to believe their own lies. And what makes deceit so dangerous is every act of fraud, tax evasion, addiction, infidelity, it's layered and infused with deceit. 
We deceive ourselves. We deceive other people because we are avoiding the pain of actually telling the truth. And when integrity is gone and honesty isn't available and we don't choose those attributes, our deceitful nature creates this confusion around us that makes it difficult to keep our story straight or to remember which version of the truth we told and who we told which truth to. And it shrinks and shrinks our secretive world until all of our energy is exerted just trying to manage our life and our deceitful acts. Now, here's what's interesting about all of these things. Maybe one of them pricks you, or one of them is like, ah, I felt that before. One of them's like, ooh, I got to work on that. They're all signs for us. I might be headed into a dangerous area in my life. I'm not in control. I'm not heading in the right direction. There are little silent alarms, waving flags that go off in our minds saying, my life is unmanaged, and unhealthy things have control of me instead. Now, here's what I think is interesting. If we know what the signs are to look out for, for dangerous direction, dangerous signposts, if we find, like, that's, that's in my life, I've given into that, that's controlling me, that's got rule and say in an unhealthy way, what's the next step? What do you do with that? How do we get back on the direction towards a healthier way of doing life? And what's interesting is Paul actually gives us a really good idea of how to go after this in his letter to the Galatians. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now I love what's interesting about this because he gives us this really cool phrase, the fruit of the Spirit. What he means when he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit is that when Christ is in us, there are traits, there are character traits growing in us. What's being produced in us as we do life with Jesus Christ are character traits like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Because these are exactly who Christ is. When you study the life of Christ, when you spend any time with Christ, what you find is Christ is love. He's hope and the promise of all joy. In him is peace and patience and kindness, goodness and faithfulness. Everything we know about how to lead lives with gentleness, we know from Jesus Christ because he is a master at self-control. I love Dane Ortland said, Jesus isn't trigger happy. He's not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture that's most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Think about this image of Christ, the open arms of Jesus Christ. Gentleness is found in his eternal love and joy, his eternal patience. There's so many times when I think... We don't have to study history. We don't have to even study like complex ideas. Just in my own personal life, when Christ would have said, man, I have given you 15 million chances. How are you still getting this wrong? And he should have been done with me. He should have washed his hands and said, that's it. (laughs) You've worn out your tries. I've given you chance after chance. But he's never given up. Not on me and not on you. The thing that we know to be true about Christ is he eternally is for us because he's faithful, he's kind, and he's good. 
If what we know to be true about Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, it means he doesn't run out of goodness. He's not going to have a limit to his kindness. As patient as he was 2,000 years ago, he is patient with us today. The gentleness of Jesus Christ doesn't have a limit. It doesn't have favoritism. He's not only gentle with a certain kind of person, he has enough gentleness for us all. And the more we truly know him, the more we spend time with him, the more there's something in us that longs to be more like Jesus Christ. Here's how one study guide said it on the book of Galatians. The ultimate purpose of uh, the Spirit's operation in the Christian is to change us into the likeness and the character of Jesus Christ. The ultimate goal is not some kind of general comfort, strength, or power, but concrete, practical change in our character, how we think, feel, and act habitually and naturally. We change gradually from one degree of likeness to the next. The transforming process of the Spirit is experienced by the individual Christian as freedom. It doesn't mean there's no effort, pain, or hard discipline involved, but that primarily and ultimately, the development of Christ-like character, it's liberating. Growing in love, joy, peace, and self-control makes you feel you are becoming yourself. Think about how powerful this is for a second. We know what the signposts are. We've experienced them. We've lived them. We've felt them. We've been on the receiving end of them. Greed, intolerance, self-absorption, arrogance, deceit. They're suffocating and they're demanding masters. They never will be satisfied. They're never fulfilled. No matter how many times we give in to them, there's always more and more that they want from us. But in Jesus Christ, we find freedom. Freedom to start again, freedom to grow, freedom to be who we've always been meant to be. Freedom isn't, I just get to do whatever I want, right? If you ask somebody right now, what does freedom mean? It means you don't get to tell me what I can do. I get to pick what I want to do. But there's no lived human experience that freedom works like that. If we were to go to work tomorrow and say, you can't tell me what to do, we would lose our job. If we're in a relationship and we said to our spouse, you don't get to tell me who I'm going to be or what I get to do, there's friction and there's tension and there's pain. Freedom isn't, I don't get to be told what to do. Freedom is, I choose the right constraints, the right boundaries in my life to give me the most amount of freedom to be the person I was created to be. And there is no place we find that greater than in Jesus Christ. We don't live free when we say, I do whatever I want. We are slaves to whatever the thing is that we want. In Christ, we find freedom and this new chance to be exactly who he's called us to be. The goal of growing in faith is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Not so that I can just get more comfortable in life. Not so that I can just make my life easier and free from tension. But that our character, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions will grow more and more into who he has called us to be. 
And it takes work. <laughs> it takes a lifetime of work. Who of us wouldn't wish that the second we said yes to Jesus Christ, this just all came easy to us. Like all of a sudden I'm a Christian and the fruits of the Spirit are in me and they are not a problem. But I don't know any good man or woman who loves Christ that isn't working hard on their lives to be more of who Christ called them to be. It takes work. <clears throat> it takes a lifetime of growing in to who Christ has given us the potential to be. But as we grow, as we work at it, we experience more and more freedom to be who we were always meant to be. The unmanaged life finds it incredibly hard to grow in these areas because you're always controlled by whatever's going on around you. Whatever emotion is strongest at the moment, that gets the final say. Whatever whim your attention has been distracted by, that's the direction you follow. And as much as we need signposts in our life to show us when we're headed in the wrong direction, when our thinking isn't right, when our hearts are not being controlled by the right impulses, we need directions to find our way back towards healthy thoughts, feelings, and actions. On my own, I can't find the way. On the best day, I want to do a good job, but life happens, and I get grouchy, and I get stressed, and some weird curveball that wasn't on my bingo card for this year shows up, and I find myself scrambling, trying to figure it out. We can't do this on our own, but by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit is at work in us, growing the fruits of the Spirit, helping us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. But we cannot do this without self-control. God designed self-control to be our front line of defense in life. Instead of feeling like everything is out of control around us, there's nothing we can do, he gave us all the ability to learn and grow and practice the habits that help us become more and more managed and in control of our lives. Now what's interesting is, willpower and self-control are not the same. Our willpower gets depleted. It runs out. There is a limited amount, and there's all kinds of studies you can read about what affects your willpower. The more tired you are, the more stressed out you are, the more willing you're given to, uh, you are to give in to natural impulses. I might start off patient, but something on repeat over and over and over again wears down my patience, and my willpower runs out. My intention might begin good, right? January kicks in and we're going to be healthy and we've got all these plans. But then life happens. And somewhere along the way, selfishness creeps back in or somebody else is rude or somebody else knocks me off my game. My will can only go so far. But thankfully, God who created us knows us. And he's given us this ability to not just learn, but grow in the habits of self-control. Everybody can develop new skills, new habits, new options to start managing your life in healthy, different ways. And as we practice these, we grow and develop the quality of self-control. But here's the trick. The secret of self-control isn't in willpower. If willpower were enough, think about it. Every one of us would keep our goals. Every one of us would lose the pounds that we said we were going to lose, or we'd work out like we said we were going to work out, or nobody would ever get angry, or nobody would ever give in to an unhealthy impulse. 
If, if willpower were enough, we wouldn't have to set New Year's resolutions every year. We would just keep the ones we set 20 years ago, and life would be grand. But time and again, it's not enough. We can't just will ourselves into changing behavior. Instead, we practice the habits of self-control that manage ourselves, manage our life, our thoughts, and behavior. It's disciplined thinking that helps us work our way through problems before they run ramshod all over us. Here's what self-control is. It's the ability to pursue the important over the urgent, rather than to just always be impulsive or uncontrolled. Self-control is the strength to master our thoughts, our behaviors. It's the ability to use our awareness of our emotions to stay flexible and direct our behavior in positive ways. Self-control allows us to keep our disruptive emotions and impulses under control. And it helps us grow the skills we need to master ourselves, our emotions, our behaviors, our life. It's not a matter of willpower. It's creating healthy options in our life to manage the temptations and struggles that we all face. And here's what it rests in. Here's why Paul included it as part of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is when we rest. Uh, it, it lives in focusing our hearts on the right thing. The highest passion of Jesus Christ's heart was us. Think about the control that was required of him, how he endured the cross, knowing what was going to come, how he endured the shame and the indignity and the brutality and the pain, because it was for us. And we have problems with self-control because Christ isn't the passion of our hearts. Our hearts have focused on other things. They're disordered and they're scattered and we all have these Christ-shaped holes in our life that we've been trying to fill with all of these other things, but only Christ can fill it. The things that have crowded him out, the things that have become more urgent, they're never going to help us gain control of our lives to give us the freedom, the hope, the gentleness that we desire. So the question is, where does your life feel most out of control? Where have you given in to your own self-indulgence to the point where you can't even stand your own self? What signpost for disaster is appearing in your own heart? In those places is where we need to seek Christ and ask him for help. It's where we need to reorder our scattered hearts and say, Christ, you aren't the passion of my heart. You aren't coming first. I haven't sought you first. And it shows and I need help. And what happens is, as we seek Christ first, he helps us reorder our scattered heart. And I love this. Leo Tolstoy said, the two strongest warriors in our life are time and patience. And their power comes from their ability to transform situations, ease pain, and provide clarity. Do you ever think about the situations in your life that require your patience? They're uncomfortable, they're dissatisfying, they're rife with anxiety, and we jump into action because we just don't want that tension to exist and the turmoil that's there. But what would happen if we gave ourselves an extra day, an extra week, just a month to digest the situation before we moved forward? What if that space of time was all we needed to stay in control? Time is a beautiful teacher. It's not an easy teacher but it is an inevitable teacher. 
It helps us to self-manage because it brings clarity and perspective to all the thousands of thoughts that weave in and out of our mind day after day after day. We think something is important, and you know what time teaches us? It was wasted energy and wasted time. Time and patience help us get control of our emotions, our behaviors, our thoughts, our actions. Think about how much these two ideas could help you as you enter into this holiday season. Rather than jumping into action, than saying the first thing that comes to mind, or the harsh thing that puts somebody in their place, or the sarcastic thing, or the, the low-level um, passive-aggressive thing, your opinion, just wait. Give yourself a day before you respond. Give yourself time to think about it, digest it, ask if anything really needs to be said at all. Sometimes you don't say anything and it goes away and the tension is managed. Rather than being reactionary to all the things going on around us, we wait, we process, we pray. And before we jump in with the big emotion or the big response or the big view that we have, we wait. We ask for help from God and we just keep silent for a minute to see what might happen if we don't say anything at all. You know, one of the biggest enemies of us being able to be gentle toward one another is self-control. What happens is when we aren't managing our own life in healthy ways, our emotions, our thoughts, we don't have a lot left over to share with anybody else. All our energy is wrapped up into our own struggles, our own hurts. We're just trying to get through and survive this moment. We have nothing left to give anybody else. There's nothing left in us that's kind or gentle. We're just raw emotion ready to spill out on anybody who God help them looks at us in the wrong way or says the wrong thing. But think about this. I read this incredible idea. Emotions are part of the equation of our lives, but they are not the entire equation. Emotions are merely signposts, suggestions, Negative emotions are a call to action. When you feel them, it's because you're supposed to do something. It's an action. I feel this way not because life is terrible or everybody's against me or the world's coming to an end. Because something is required, what can I do? What can I put into action? And then positive emotions become rewards for taking the right action. But we need to question our emotions. Rather than giving them free reign, we don't understand them until we spend time with them. Why do I feel angry all of the time? Why am I so stressed out right now? What's making me want to snap at everybody around me? Why am I so quick to lose my patience? What's happening that's so irritating to me in this? Why do I constantly feel tired and checked out? Until we ask these questions, we can't understand the emotions, and until we understand them, we can't manage how they affect our lives and decisions. Until we start having awareness of who we are, what's going on in us, why we feel certain ways, it's hard to manage who we are and who we want to become. But look at this beautiful advice that Paul gives us. The fruit of the Spirit are values that we can live by. Directions for a healthy heart, a healthy mind, and a healthy life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. They're all areas that we can grow in. They're all areas we can practice. 
if I want to be more gentle this year, gentle in my words, gentle in my reactions, gentle in my thoughts, gentle in my heart, I need to be able to manage my life, my emotions, my behaviors. When I feel these signposts and myself becoming more guarded, more selfish, more arrogant, more intolerant, self-absorbed, stubborn, and deceptive, challenge ourselves right in that moment to work into our heart, practice in our thinking and choices, these very fruit of the Spirit that Christ can grow and develop in us. When Christ is in us, we have the ability to grow in these areas, not just one or two, right? We all have things where we're like, I'm good at that. I don't need to worry about that one, but all of them. When the fruit of the Spirit are growing, they all grow. And listen, Christ in us is greater than everything else. Everything else that we face, Christ is greater. The ugliness of the world, Christ is greater. The ugliness in me, Christ is greater which is why we regularly have to open our hearts to him and let him be part of the life that we are doing. Why would we try to do it on our own when the greatest power in the universe and the world has come into the world to be God with us, that we do not have to do any of this alone? I don't have to manage my life alone. God in me gives me the strength and the control to make healthy choices again and again and again. Christ is the only one who can transform a life headed for disaster to a life that is marked by joy. Allow his gentleness to fill your hearts and guide your life. He has created you for a life not out of control, not marked by disaster, but filled with freedom and peace. The fruit of the Spirit is God at work in us, cultivating fruit which is healthy and good, producing in us a life that is valuable and meaningful. Let me just end with this one challenge that we can all practice together. James Clear, who's the author and he researches habits, he said it only takes five minutes to break the cycle. Five minutes of exercise and you're back on the path. Five minutes of writing, the manuscript is moving forward. Five minutes of conversation and the relationship is restored. It doesn't take much to feel good again. What if starting today and every day we just spent five minutes with Jesus Christ, praying, asking for his help, saying, God, I want to be more gentle. I want to be more in control of my life. I want to manage my thoughts, my behavior, my actions. Five minutes reading the Bible. Five minutes thinking about a verse that we want to memorize or study. Five minutes of quiet where we turn from the craziness of everything else and focus on him five minutes to disrupt whatever cycle is happening that's moving us in an unhealthy direction and allow God to work. Friends, what might happen in your heart, in your life, in your family if you just gave God that five minutes every single day? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us. I recognize that you are a God who is good, that you are gentle and kind, that your patience has eternally sustained us. I pray, Father, that we would open our hearts to Jesus Christ today. I pray that the work of the Spirit in us would produce a fruit that is healthy and good. I pray, Father, we would no longer live unmanaged lives, but we would work with you to gain control, to live with freedom, joy, and peace. 
Help us in our approach towards gentleness towards one another, that the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ might be evident in who we are and what we do. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.